Hello and welcome to the Rising as One podcast. This is Dominic Kearns here with Kyle Mackey. Um, this has been a weekend from hell as far as schedules have been concerned. Um, how are you doing, Kyle? You know, I'm doing good. I just, you know, got off work, came home real quick to, you know, record this pod, get dressed and uh, head out to my dad's birthday dinner. So it's going to be, you know, a little bit quick here tonight, but we make it happen for the people. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. The show must go on a little chaotic. Yesterday, I was going out to Lake Havasu, um, and so just most most of the uh, day was shot, and then overnight, we were staying overnight to uh, get our get our wedding license, so that's cool, um, but we did that, and then Aaron had a birthday party to go to yesterday afternoon when I was free, so it was just no one's schedules lined up, and then I was even hey, are you free on Monday night? And he's not free until 8.15 because his kid has soccer practice. And then I have my fantasy football draft tonight where I'm going to take Andrew Luck with the first pick. So, <laughs> Do it. And then Lamar Miller, too, just because. Just, I mean, why not, right? Just for the bands. <laughs> um, no, but, yeah, we'll get right to this. Time is of the essence with Kyle having his birthday dinner. Um. Kyle, man, what are your what are your immediate thoughts on us making it 15 straight with a 2-1 win over Sac Republic? I mean, we did it. We we knew that this match was going to be a difficult match, probably arguably one of the d- most difficult matches we've had in in quite a while, I would say. And I mean, it, it really showed. I mean, it was just a very scrappy, very tight affair that, you know, I think that Rising they did really well. They weathered the storm for sure because i mean just how the match started it did not start start off on a good foot so i mean to be able to come out of this match against a club that you, we know historically they're so strong in sacramento i mean it, you have to feel great about this and the dollar beer night streak continues well absolutely let's let's dive right into this because time is so essential in this in this episode not even 2 minutes into this game sacramento goes up first it's really just a speculative long ball played by Sac Republic, and Joey Farrell is in a perfect spot to head it back. The problem is he thinks that Kami Wasa isn't in that space between him and the keeper. He thinks it's an easy header back. Kami Wasa, like a little chicharito flea, just sneaks in behind. Um, it's a poacher's goal for sure and beats Lubin to the header. It's not really Lubin's fault. It was kind of a soft header. He didn't get all of it. And uh, all of a sudden, it's 1-0. I wasn't even in my seat at the time. What was your take when we fall behind 1-0 inside of two minutes? I, I mean, truth be told, I, I really wasn't that surprised. Sacramento was going to come out motivated. I mean, they wanted to be the team to take us down on Dollar Beer Night to end our win streak and the Dollar Beer Night streak. I mean, I... I I, I really was not surprised, but yeah, as you said, Farrell just makes a mess of it. And I, I heard, you know, in his post-game thoughts that he just heard keeper, keeper, keeper. And as you said, he did not see Awasa there, and it just was a poor sequence of play. And really, yeah, just did not turn out in our favor. Um, but honestly, I was very confident after that goal was scored because I knew, okay, now we know what we have to do. We at least have to get one, if not two, to get some points. So really, I knew this is what was going to kickstart this team. Every time we have conceded on this streak, we have came back and equalized and even gone on to win. So I really, you know, was not too concerned 
given that it happened so early. Had this happened late in the match, I think it could have been a much more tragic event. That's a great way to look at it, and I think the guys have that same perspective. And Phoenix gets a bit of luck, just like the first goal is kind of a crap goal, as the men in Blazers would say. Five minutes later, we get an equally crap goal to make it 1-1. Ball in the box, it gets headed out, and Junior Flemings does a good job tracking it down. But he's really just putting in a speculative uh, ball through the middle, hoping that someone can get on the end of it. Someone gets on the end of it, and it's Juan Barahona of Sac Republic, who just gets enough of a glancing touch to put it inside the post and past uh, Bobby Shuttleworth to make it 1-1. And at this point, you got to feel great because, all right, man, this is the first of more goals to come. We got our mojo back. That's got to be real frustrating for Sacramento to think that they're in the driver's seat and it's gone. Yeah, no, absolutely. That was my thought. I mean, you you equalize five minutes later. There's so much time left in this match. We're back on level terms. I mean, it, we, we know the character of this team. We knew right then that this match was on at this point. It certainly was, you know, a very physical match. Not a ton of real quality clear-cut chances. And the next great chance comes actually from Sacramento in the 17th minute. Um, the guy who scored their first goal gets on the end of a uh, another long ball. It's interesting because I feel like most teams have not been able to succeed with these breakaways. You know, attacks kick-started by a long ball. But Sac Republic was able to fashion two chances in this match in the early going off of long balls. Here it's played out to the right wing, and I believe Ailman or Aleman gets the ball into a trailing Kamiwasa, who forces Zach Lubin into a very good save, a ball that was destined for the top right corner. You surprised that Lubin makes a save at all? I can't say that I am because he's been so solid, but I mean, still a great save. And I mean, he is human, so there's, you know, there is going to be those nights where that save's not always made, but a huge save because, I mean, as we said, we just had come back to level terms at that point. We were, you know, right in the match, and to give up another goal, I think, you know, that would have made the match maybe have a little more drama to it. But uh, I mean, thankfully, Lubin's able to make that save and, you know, keep us in this. Definitely. Um, and after that, you see more of the physical play. Um, I want to see the card totals because obviously we end up with the one red card, but um, definitely definitely some cards. Actually, none in the first half, though. Um, so just teams feeling each other out, and then right before halftime, Phoenix again gets a real scrappy, real... It's a hockey goal, if anything. Um, Solomon Asante... Uh, with the ugliest assist you'll ever see him get. He does well to volley the ball, because um, it's not the easiest thing, just kind of a ball in the box. Started on a great header to keep the ball from going off the touch line by Kavon Lambert. Asante takes the touch, um, pounds it in the ground so it's not going over the bar, but still, the ball was going to be cleared by a Sacramento defender, except Joey Farrell, right place, right time, redirects it to the opposite side, 2-1, and you will not see a more hockey-esque goal in the game of soccer than this. 
yeah, you're de- you're dead on there. I mean, absolutely a, a greasy hockey goal. And and the one thing you know that I really you know was kind of caught out on, but very surprised was both both of our goals came off of set piece plays in this match, and that's not something we usually see from Rising. So pretty interesting to see us being able to get it done against a team in Sacramento. You know, two goals on set pieces coming off of you know definitely errors and a little bit of luck, but. You know, we get the ball in the box right there and have our big guys, you know, directed in. And for Farrell, you know, I think especially for him, it was important to get this goal because he'd given up that goal, that own goal against us almost. So, I mean, not an own goal, but you know what I mean, basically an own goal. And uh, just so disappointing that he gave that up to be able to come back and get the game winner. I mean, you love it for that guy. It's got to boost his confidence big time. No doubt about that. Um you, you find them you find those goals however they can come. This is a match where we knew that it was gonna be physical, we knew it was gonna be low scoring. None of us in the predictions had it going higher than two one. And so it was, if anything, surprising that there were three goals in the first half. But you know, none of these goals are world beaters. They're all just scrappy opportunistic goals. I mean, even even the goal that we gave up where you know, Farrell maybe could have had a better header. Maybe Lubin shouldn't have called for the ball with Iwasa being on his heels. That's still a striker. That's still a good goal to have the instinct to get in between uh, the keeper and the ball there. Not a lot of guys would do that. So both teams very opportunistic in the limited chances they had. Both teams only with three shots on target in this match. So that shows you what kind of a game it was. And it's similar to the first time we got we played them except this time the ball hit the net a few times. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. A very similar type of match to, to that April 27th match in Sacramento. And yeah, I mean, it, luckily there was some goals to you know be able to provide us with some points. But it, I mean, this is just kind of Sacramento's bread and butter, especially against teams like Phoenix, I think, where maybe we have superior firepower. They're able to sit back and play this difficult, scrappy kind of match. And I mean, they were in this match the full 90 you know i i absolutely was thinking there was always a chance that they could come out there and get an equalizer just given how lethal this team is you know ennevoldson did not have the most active night and that was the one thing i think this rising defense really need to be proud of keeping him pretty quiet yeah i see it a chance right before halftime but not not too much on the whole um so the second half gets started um Barahona, the guy who committed the own goal, picks up a yellow card in the 49th minute um, for fouling Asante. I don't think there was much of an argument there. Um, interesting sub that Viljan Bijev did not start for Sac Republic. He usually starts for them, um, but he comes on in the 56th minute. Definitely a dangerous guy to bring on. He's he's a, uh, a dangerous midfielder who can score. Um, I don't know how many goals he has on the season for them, but he has a. Uh, he has more than five, I think, and he's he's capable of scoring a goal or two, when they're needed. Um, sac- both teams make early subs in this match. Jose Aguinaga comes off in the 61st minute. Peter Lee Vassell plays 30 plus minutes, in a substitute appearance. What are your thoughts about Rick Schantz putting him on that early, in such a high pressure match? I, I think this says that, you know, PLV is going to get a good run in our midfield um given that you know he just come in from lafc recently this past week and you know yeah sean's 
puts him in in a match that you're only up by one goal and it's still as you said very early on in the second half so I mean I think it says that he's going to get a lot of time and I liked what I saw from the kids so far and what I've seen from him with LAFC I mean he seems to be electric it'll be interesting to see how he meshes with our midfield and whose spot he ends up taking Um, but I mean as we have this run-in of matches we're definitely going to need him for the rotation so I think he could be a key piece absolutely and if if you want to know more about peter lee vassal go to rising tactics joseph lowry had a great write-up on plv in the midweek last week really went in depth on what kind of a player he is um the kind of exciting talent he is another jamaican who figures to be a part of their national team rotation in the years to come and figures to be a part of lafc's plans in a much more real way than shaft brewer ever was um so PLV did commit a yellow card shortly after coming on in this match, uh, but he he uh, he was out there. He was playing hard. I think he's going to get the start on on by the time you guys are listening to this today against uh, Tacoma Defiance. We're recording on Monday. It's so weird with two matches, but I think he'll get at least one start on this road trip. What about I'm, you? I'm with you. I absolutely. Yeah, I, I absolutely think that he'll get the start. Um, I mean, it's. I think it's really going to be up to Rake. If it were me, I probably would start him against Tacoma, um, just given that, you know, going up to Colorado Springs in that high altitude, I'm going to want, you know, my best guys, and I'm going to want them fit, not being tired. So with this short turnaround, you know, Vassal, he's in great shape, and he's, as you said, only played 30 minutes the other night. He should be good to go against Tacoma. It's really going to be interesting to see what Rick Schantz does with the rotation uh, on Tuesday, today. So uh, it's, I'm really looking forward to it. But, yeah, I definitely, you know, I wouldn't even be surprised if maybe we see a change in goalkeeper. Probably not, but it's possible that we see Carl get between the sticks in one of these matches, just given that we have so many matches in such a short span coming up. Yes, and very interesting. We'll, we'll get into the previews of both those matches in a few minutes, but let's wrap this one up first because there's going to be interesting tactical decisions and interesting to see how Schantz prioritizes the matches, whether he gives any uh, weight to the Four Corners Cup implications of Saturday's match or just tries to go for max points. Um, moving forward in this match, Sacramento makes his final sub in the 75th minute. Shortly afterward, Asante gets a shot that's blocked, um, goes out for a corner, and then this is the last really great chance for Phoenix to add to its tally. Adam John gets up on another set piece, um, this time Amadou Dia whipping in across. Adam John rises up, absolute goal-scoring effort here. It's on target, but the ball gets cleared off the line, um, and I don't know who cleared that off the line, but it was a brilliant play by Sac Republic to keep the score at 2-1 because 9 times out of 10 that header's in the back of the net absolutely I mean that I don't know who that defender is I can't tell at that far post but they made a crucial save and uh, yeah I mean as you said on another night John puts that in and we talked about it this you know this was going to be a very difficult match it wasn't you know a night where we were going to get too lucky and I think we already you know earned our luck at that point with 
with the own goal and then that feral goal as well i think that was pretty fortunate so um you know it was just one of those chances that on another night we do score it but ultimately it uh, ended up working out for us and i just want to give a, a brief shout out to that defender that was jordan mcquery um of sac republic a guy that has had some brief MLS experience with New England Revolution, um, he's their right back. So, kind of, kind of like our Dumboya, a short dude out there, but he made a big play there. So the match continues on. Uh, Musa comes on for Bicaro. Bicaro and Aguinaga, but especially Bicaro, the last couple of weeks, his passing has not quite been what it was the rest of this season. I mean, it's another match where he starts and we win. And we have a positive goal difference, but something has not been clicking quite as well there. A very, very nitpicky point, but um, I don't know if that's been your observation too. I, I mean, I think that it's it's kind of been a mix of things. I think it's been with the reintroduction of Lambert into the midfield. I think the Carroll's role has maybe changed slightly. And I also think that for Baccaro, I mean, teams have just been probably playing him maybe a little bit tougher now that they have some film on him. They know what he's capable of. When he first, you know, came into the squad, we really didn't have much on him. So I, I think it's a combination of things. And I think for Baccaro, it's something that he's just going to have to play through. But I think he's a quality player and he's fully capable of doing so. Yeah, I, I don't doubt that he will be back at his standard in no time. So the match goes on, and not any quality chances of note for either side in the remaining 10 minutes or so. But there is controversy. Duigi Mala, um, who had been playing the full game and had done a great job at center back, picks up a pretty, can't argue too much about it, yellow card in the 85th minute. Um, but then a few minutes later, he gets a second yellow card for a very, very soft foul. Um, Devin Kerr in the broadcast concurred, um, saying that it was quite soft for the ref to make that second yellow card decision in a matter of five minutes, and he barely touched the, uh, it looked like Kamiwasa on both of those fouls. I mean, it shows you the threat that Iwasa is, but, you know, I think Mala will unfairly get targeted sometimes because of his size, and, you know, definitely... Definitely a decision that was more confusing than anything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that it's you know it's unfortunate for Mala in that position. And I mean, from the referee, it, it's soft. And I mean, it's it's at the very end of a match. Um, I mean, unless you see some very malicious intent, I just I don't really see the point. Um, but, you know, the referee felt he had to make a point, and he, he ultimately kicked Mala out. He sure did, but I have to commend the uh, the guys that were still on the pitch. You know, throughout the end of this match, to prevent Sac Republic from getting clear-cut opportunities, you know, in the past we've struggled with closing out matches, but I think this year Phoenix has really taken a step in being more compact and in limiting those quality chances for other teams. The one exception being the lowest dose game where Zach Lubin was just standing on his head to give us those three points. I mean, we should have conceded four or five that match. But uh, other than that, we've done a great job. And in this match, it's okay to foul if it means that you're going to stop the opposition from hitting us on a quick counter. I think both teams had that philosophy because 
not a ton of shots. Passing accuracy was pretty substandard for us. 76% for us, 74% for them. Possession, 51 to 49. You know, both times we've played them this year, they've been effective in limiting our our uh, attacking prowess with physical play. Um, ultimately, we get the job done this time, but do you have any concerns about a possible playoff match with them? I mean, you have to say, yeah. I think I think they're one of the teams in the Western Conference that we don't have as, as you know, great of a matchup against as we would against some other teams. Um, I, I mean, just from the style they play and... and and, I mean, this squad's been together for quite a while. They have some core guys, and they've done it against Phoenix before in Phoenix last season. So they're going to have the belief as well. They're definitely a team that, yeah, I would absolutely want to steer clear of in the playoffs. Just, you know, even in Phoenix, I think they're a team that, I mean, they can come in, and even in your home, they can dictate the game at times. So um, I, I think that they definitely would be a team that would not be a preferred matchup in playoffs. There's many other teams I would I would rather play yeah I think the uh the three that are the biggest red flag matchups for me and this isn't to say that we lose but just that the way that they play is not ideal for us and it's going to make it a tough match whether we win or lose yeah it's going to be a tough match it pushes it closer to it being a 50-50 where maybe we still have a 35% chance of ultimately not advancing which, if you're an away team coming to Phoenix, that's all you can ask for is a shot. Um, and those teams, to me, are Fresno, New Mexico, and Sacramento. Uh, Fresno drew us here earlier in the season. We have a huge match. Actually, Fresno and New Mexico, we play on the road in back-to-back -back weeks in September. This streak has been glorious, but I'm extremely interested in those two matches to see what kind of form we're going to be in going into the playoffs and then Sacramento because of the problems they've posed to us you know I, I think I think OKC um, could be a tricky match but I think we'd find a way against them so and maybe Reno the same put them in the same boat yeah maybe the only other so put them in that boat too but those are all teams I think we could ultimately beat yeah the only other team I would say is maybe San Antonio I mean, they're, they're getting hot at the right time, it seems. And then LA Galaxy, I mean, they're a wild card. I think I think they're a team as well that if they do get into play, um, some other teams might not be ready for them. So, it, I mean, it is going to be so interesting. There's so many quality sides that's, you know, and they're not even all in the playoff hunt right now, both El Paso and, and LA Galaxy below the line. So it's, it's really going to be wild to see who ends up making – this uh, playoffs and who rising gets in that first round. And we will, we will briefly recap those scores at the end. Um, just want to talk about these upcoming matches for Phoenix rising. We're playing two teams this week that are towards the bottom of the standings. They don't have any chances to make playoffs. And so really this is their, you know, college football. There's a, there's the saying, this is their bowl game. If it's a losing team, they have no chance of making a bowl game but they're going up against a rival or they're going up against a big ranked team. That's their bowl game. This is their Super Bowl. You get that kind of phrase. And this very well could be both teams' biggest remaining game of the season. Tacoma has played better at home lately. They've beaten Las Vegas and Orange County in the last 
five weeks at home. Um, they might bring a couple MLS guys down. There's been speculation about that. Devin Kerr thinks that they're going to bring a few MLS guys down and thinks that that can have an impact. I'm not as sold on that. On Even if they bring three, four guys down, I don't think it's going to matter that much. I think we have the quality to, to get through it, but it, it's, a, it's a match that could pose a challenge. Um, I expect some rotation. I expect uh, PLV to make his debut start. I could see Carl Wazinski starting. I could see some rotation in the back where we're probably not seeing Farrell in the starting 11. Maybe we see some midfield rotation too where it's Musa instead of Kavan out there. So I don't know. I think I think still there's enough quality for us to get like a 3-1 win. Um, and maybe we bring in some of the big bodies in the second half and they help us uh, break away a little bit. But it's, it's not a match that's going to be a walkover. And then on Saturday, we play Colorado Springs, who definitely outside of the playoff hunt, they're down in 16th spot. But they're playing teams tough, especially at home lately. Um, in their most recent home matches, they beat Tulsa, they beat OKC, they tied Timbers 2, and they tied RGV. So they're actually unbeaten in their last four at home. It's been a different story on the road. They just can't score to save their lives on the road. But um, they've been capable at home of scoring and, and making life miserable for teams. And even even their last match in Fresno, this match was 1-1 until Fresno gets a very late winner in the 89th minute. So this is a team that can still play. They have a, a former Arizona United and Phoenix Rising guy, Mike Seth, who usually gets the starts up top for them. Um, they do some rotation, but he's a part of the rotation. Um, Abraham Rodriguez, the kid who got USL Player of the Week for 11 saves in that ridiculous 2-2 draw early in the season. He has he lost his starting job, but he's gotten it back in the last month or two, and maybe that's been part of them being on slightly better form. This is a match that really worries me. If If there's... If there's a match where the streak could end, I really could see it being Colorado Springs. And this gets into how much does Phoenix Rising care about the Four Corners Cup and this match in particular. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's a fair question. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you'll you'll just think back to previous matches with Colorado and very different. And I mean, in the altitude in Colorado on a short rest week, I mean, it's it's going to be one of those matches that we're going to have to bring our A game. And as you said, uh, Colorado Springs is going to be looking to do the same. They have, have the number one team in the West coming into their house. And uh, you touched on it. You know, they were in that Fresno match until the very end. And to go to Fresno and get a point, that would have been, you know, a very tough task. And I'm sure they could still hold their head high. Um, it's It's been, you know, definitely a ticking for whatsoever but i think that you know if we played i wouldn't have been as concerned as i am now but uh, i the key for phoenix here is just going to be an early start if we can get one two goals early in the first half i think we're able to ride this match out but it, it, they are a difficult team and uh, i mean we had difficulties against them the first time this season at home and not many teams have been able to do that this year we're a completely different team since then but i think that'll give colorado springs a little bit of confidence yeah i mean it's here's the thing 
if I was the manager, I would significantly heavily rotate Tuesday's match and put the emphasis on getting the win against Colorado Springs because Tacoma is not enough of a side to really punish us for playing half second string guys. Colorado Springs, if we if we front load for Tuesday and we rest a couple guys on Saturday, Colorado Springs at home is enough of a threat to potentially take a point or even three off of us. You look at the last five matches against them, all have been decided by one goal or a draw, except for the 4-0 drawing we gave them last year. But that's a deceptive scoreline because it was 0-0 in the final 30 minutes until they suffered a red card and then we onslaughted with four goals at the end there. So really, they've consistently given us a tough time. We were lucky to escape Colorado Springs with a 2-1 win last year. One of their guys had an absolute chip shot goal that he just missed at the end. I don't know if you remember that, but I don't know. I feel good about the oh, match yeah. against Tacoma, but I really... I'm not going to say the streak will end on Saturday, but it would not surprise me if the streak ended on Saturday. And a lot of that depends on what Shantz's approach is on Tuesday. Absolutely. Yeah, one one result is very dependent upon, you know, the actions of the other match. It's it's going to be very interesting to see and who he is... fields on Tuesday. And as you said, how that match plays up, I think, like you, we fare much better against Tacoma. Um, I just, you know, even if they bring down that they don't have the chemistry, you know, just the ability has. But Colorado Springs, I mean, as you said, they're very good. It's tough in the past. In that altitude, it is difficult for Ryan. Uh, I absolutely think that if any match were to happen, it could be this. I think I don't necessarily know that we lose, but I would not be surprised to see a draw against Colorado Springs, just depending how stuff plays out. But I still think we're fully capable of going out and getting a win. A draw would be a disappointing result, but you know, some sometimes the other shoe has to drop uh, in both yeah. these matches to go out there and get the win. I have the same feeling about this one that I had about the Los Dos match. And that's, again, they that's the one where I went on record and I did say that I don't think that we're going to get the win, so I'm not going to be that stupid and do that. But I have that same eerie feeling, and that feeling was somewhat justified because that has been the toughest match in this streak. That is the match, that's the only match where we've been down by multiple goals in this streak. And that's really the match where the most things had to break our way, I think, for us to emerge victorious. If you go by expected goals in that game, Los Dos probably wins yeah, like 5 no, to 2.5. Probably like <laughs> 4.5 to 2. I mean, the, that was... Yeah, I mean, that match That match was a wild match. Um, and, the, and that's a reason why I rate that team so highly. I think that they're a very talented squad, and if they're able to, you know, have Efren Alvarez in it, it makes them that much more lethal. For sure. So, on that note, let's kind of wrap things up with Western Conference standings and scores. Um, since this has been an abbreviated episode, we'll do that, and then go to final thoughts. Um, so let's do the scores first. There were some interesting results this weekend. Um, it's just getting down to crunch time. So you're starting to see teams, you know, really show their true character in these matches. El Paso suffers a devastating 1-0 loss in Copa Tejas. 
Jerome Keysweater comes back, and they still can't score. RGV gets a win in the 46th minute. Richie Ryan picks up a red card late for them. They only have one shot on target, um, despite 64% possession. Um, absolutely devastating loss, but that just goes to show how tough it is to play in South Texas. And that's why people shouldn't look down on Phoenix for getting that 1-0 win. That's a place where Sac Republic lost too, but devastating loss for El Paso as far as a team just really hurting their chances. Yeah, yeah, it hurts that much more when you're below the playoff line. I mean, and against, you know, an in, in, in-state rival. And, yeah, I mean, it is such a difficult place to play down at HEB Park. I mean, I, I, it's something that you see all these quality teams go in there and struggle to get results. And as you said, it really, really does make that rising win. You know, it's just another feather in our cap that we were able to go down there and get it done. Yes, and that, that also has some uh, Copa Tejas implications that eliminates El Paso from the running in that. Um, I'm looking at the standings right now, or trying to find them. Um, This is kind of ridiculous that the site isn't a little bit better organized, but... Man, that's that's so crazy. Let's see. Alright, I think San Antonio's winning it, but they don't have any matches left, and I think... Austin is the prohibitive hate favorite to win that thing now. Here we go. So, yeah, so RGV and Austin have one match against each other left, and that's going to basically decide the thing. Um, Austin plays El Paso, but El Paso's out of it. San Antonio's done with eight points. So it's going to come down to RGV versus Austin Bold. For the Cup, either one of those teams winning it would be a pretty big upset. Uh, but just a just a fun thing. Four Corners Cup, there are implications with us going into Colorado Springs. If we can take care of business there, a tie at New Mexico United would allow Phoenix to control our own destiny. If we lose or draw at Colorado Springs, we need a win at New Mexico United or else only New Mexico or Real Monarchs would win the cup, um, I believe. Other matches, San Antonio... Speaking of New Mexico, puts five on them. Five nil. Consistently outplays them off the pitch. Two nil lead at halftime. Five nil at the end of the game. Um, New Mexico has a guy get a red card in the 21st minute, and that opens the floodgates. San Antonio is a tough place to play, especially when you're down a man. But five nil is an embarrassing loss for them, and that's a New Mexico team that might be on the outside looking in now if this dip in form continues yeah absolutely absolutely i mean it's it's kind of insane to see you know this it seems like they're still having a hangover from the open cup when they should be moving on by now but i mean san antonio it really is a fortress um it makes me glad that we've already gotten that away match to san antonio over with this season and we were able to get a point out of it so you got to be happy with that yeah, and that, that New Mexico-Phoenix on September 28th is becoming a season-defining match for both teams. It's going to have massive um, Four Corners Cup implications, and it might decide whether New Mexico makes the playoffs or not when it's all said and done. Other scores, two teams that really helped themselves this weekend. Orange County with a dominating 3-1 win over Real Monarchs. They're up 3-0 in this match. They're up 2-0 at halftime. Um only five shots on target, but they make them count. Uh, and that that halts Real Monarchs' momentum. They had been 
approaching the top five in the West. Orange County gets into the top ten, I believe. If they're not there, they're right behind it. Um, and then another team, OKC, continues its renaissance with a 4-2 win over Austin Bold. It was 4-0 before two late goals from Austin make it respectable there. You talk about efficiency. 41% possession, four shots on target, four goals for OKC. That's that's as efficient as it gets. I mean, that's getting it done. Um, and I mean, <laughs> OKC, they're a team that they've hit their stride, I feel like, in form right now. They're a team that, you know, they've cemented themselves It's in this playoff hunt. But it's really going to be interesting how they keep going through the slate part of the season if they're able to maintain because they have teams hot on their heels. So, I mean, it's really going to be interesting to see. They started off the season, I didn't think, on the strongest of foots, but they're a team that we play late in the season. I think they're our last – are they our last match? They are match? our last match on yep. Friday, um, October 18th, and that, that match could determine their playoff hopes. They're currently sitting at fifth, but they've also played 26 matches. Every other team is at 24, 25, and Monarchs at 23. So they they really dug themselves a very deep hole, but those six points in the last two have gotten them back to a place where their odds are about 50-50 of getting through. So good on them for doing that. Last two matches in the West to talk about. Fresno leaves it late. They actually fall behind 1-0 when Saeed Robinson puts Colorado Springs ahead, but a Ramon Martin Del Campo goal in the 90th minute gives them a 2-1 win over Colorado Springs. And then another match that uh, probably shouldn't raise eyebrows, even though for some people it might. Vegas at home gets a 1-0 win over Portland Timbers 2. Vegas in danger of falling off the fringes of the playoff chase. They stay in the hunt with now 30 points. Uh, that's a huge win for them to keep them alive. They've only played 24 matches too, so they're a team that has a chance to jump up into that 10th spot. They have a game in hand on a lot of squads in that 9-12 to 12 range. Um, tough loss for Timbers too, who continues to be a team that looks like they could fall out. Uh, Vegas has some very important matches coming up, and we'll we'll see. We'll see if they can do it, but that's that's already as many wins and points as Las Vegas had all of last season. So kudos to Eric Winalda for at least making them a more competitive, respectable club and, and a legitimate club at home. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think you know this is a big win for for Vegas, who hadn't gotten you know a big result in a while. And for Timbers too, it's just you know the continuous slide. It seems they were in such a high position early on, and uh, they just can't get it right anymore. And yeah, I would not be surprised to uh, maybe see Timbers too if they are not able to turn around. They could very much miss this playoffs, and which would be unfortunate because I think early on in the season they were the two team that a lot of people were high on. It's a very good point. It's a very good point. And they, they earned it, you know, up until the match in Phoenix where they played as very tough. They had looked like a legit top 3-4 team. Since then, they've fallen off the cliff. And so here are the standings after about 24 weeks of play for most teams. Phoenix in the front with 56 points. Fresno with 47 points. Reno with 44 points. Austin and OKC both on 36 and 4th and 5th. Austin has nine matches remaining. OKC only has eight. Monarchs in six with 35 points. 
Sac Republic and San Antonio on 34 points each in the 7th and 8th spots. San Antonio has played one more match than Sacramento. In 9th and 10th, we got New Mexico in 9th with 34. And then we got a logjam, a real, real logjam. OC and Los Dos both on 33 points in 10 and 11. Timbers 2 and El Paso on 32 points in 12th and 13th. Vegas and RGV boosting themselves up. Vegas on 30 points at 14th. RGV in 15th with 28 points. RGV in 15th place, and they're only 5 points out of the top 8. Even more bunched up than ever now. 4th place and 14th place are separated by 6 points. 4th place and 11th are separated by 3. Is there a takeaway other than just this is utter chaos? Yeah, I mean, that's what it is. It's it's crazy when you look at this table and then you look at teams, you know, who have a match in hand or two matches in hand on the teams above them. And it really makes you wonder where, you know, how it's all going to shake out. Because, I mean, there's, you know, a lot of matches to be played and so many points to be won. and But these teams are, you know, so close to each other in the rankings. It's For me, it's making it exciting that we're able to look down on all these teams and not have to worry too much about where, you know, we're at points-wise. But it, I mean, it is insane. And, I mean, for a casual fan, you have to love it because it's every single week, you know, someone's in the playoff race, someone's out of it. And you, you spoke about, you know, Orange County and LA Galaxy too. I mean... Their wins, draws, and losses are all the exact same. The only thing that's separating them is Orange County has a positive four goal differential and LA Galaxy has a negative seven goal differential. So, I mean, it is crazy when goal differentials, the separation between making playoffs and not. Wild, wild stuff. And it'll be riveting stuff to see in these last, you know, seven, eight weeks of the regular season. Um, any final thoughts? Because we, we definitely should wrap this up for you. Yeah, I got to get out of here. But I mean, really, I think another where we get the job done, it, it was a very, very difficult job. We all knew it was going to be a tough, tough match against Sacramento, but it's also going to be a tough, tough week. We got two very difficult opponents, very motivated opponents, as you said, playing with nothing to lose, which sometimes is the most dangerous opponent to play. So it, it's going to be tough matches i think rick shantz you know has quite the tasks ahead of him you know picking who he's going to play in these two matches there's obviously a need for rotation as you said we have so many critical matches coming up in the month of september i mean you think of san antonio fresno and new mexico all three of those playoff contending teams we play um at two of them on the road so i mean we really do need to see rotation it's going to be interesting how he approaches these games but i think you know rising's gonna come out successful this week i think that if we're even able just to get four points out of these two matches we have to be totally satisfied i agree i mean as long as as much as we want to see this streak continue the ultimate goal at the end of the season is to win the usl championship and just putting yourself in position to do that that's what it takes anything that comes on top of that single season points record you know continuing this streak towards 20 games that's all fine and dandy but those are all cherries on the top. The number one thing is just looking good and continuing to get positive momentum moving. And if there's a draw in one of those two, it's not the end of the world by any stretch of the imagination. Um, yeah, we'll see how this goes. Thank you guys for listening in a short week. We'll talk your ears off next week with two matches to recap. Aaron will be back, so he'll bring all his chutzpah and uh, 
<laughs> that'll probably be an hour and a half minimum. So, uh, at least. <laughs> yeah. So you'll want to you'll want to save that one for a long drive. This one you can bang out on the way to work. So, um, anything else before I sign off? I'm good. Go rising. I mean, I'm happy to have have a break up the midweek monotony tomorrow. Oh, one last thing. Suck at Kelsey Steele and Devin Kerr. Shout out to Kelsey, though, for at least owning it and uh, chugging a bud. So that was a good recovery there. Devin, figure that out because we're waiting. <laughs> Uprising. Thanks for listening, guys. We will be back next week. Rising is One podcast is sponsored by the Arizona Sports Complex, home of the North Phoenix Soccer League, Summer Futsal, Box Lacrosse League, and Summer High School Advanced League. Please visit the Arizona Sports Complex and tell them the Rising is One podcast sent you. This episode is brought to you by Roughneck Scarves and Golden Gold Press. Thanks to our sponsor, Golden Gold Press, the best choice for you to get custom shirts, hats, mugs, and other items just yourself and your organization. Check out their amazing products at a fraction of the price from other places at goldengoldpress.com. Also, thanks to Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Thanks also to the Beautiful Game Network and all the other excellent podcasts that you can find covering soccer and all things USL.